the New Testament knows nothing about losing salvation. If you don't remain faithful, if you don't strain towards the faithful end, then what that means is Christ has not made you His own. This is a conditional phrase. We're familiar with conditional phrases, but this is a conditional phrase. If one thing happens, then another thing happens. And we're used to that. We use conditional phrases all the time. If this happens, then that's going to happen. Only when we use conditional phrases, the aspect of the phrase that's conditioned always follows after the conditioning factor. Here's what I mean. If if we were to say, if this happens, that'll happen, then, then the thing that depends on the other always comes after the first thing. So if the first thing comes in the past, then we could say, well, in the present, then this, this other thing will happen. Or if the first thing comes in the present, then we could say, well, the other thing will come in the future. Let me give some examples. We could say, uh, if I miss lunch, I will be hungry. Okay? I will be hungry depends on me missing lunch. Me missing lunch is in the future, but then after that is the hunger. Or uh, we could say, uh, I overslept this morning, therefore I'm now running late. I'm running late because the condition was before it, it was in the past. Okay, So we use conditional things all the time, only the conditioned thing always follows the, the, the circumstance. When it comes to our salvation, the Bible flips it. This is phenomenal. Once you, once you see this, this, this will, I, I remember when I first saw this, I was like, wow, this will rock your world. The Bible flips the two of those and it does it not once, not twice, not three times. It does it all the time. So look with me again. Hebrews three, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ. And then here's the condition. If we indeed hold present tense. So the condition is present tense. The thing being conditioned is past. Or to be specific, it's uh, present perfect. That's what I was trying to say. Present perfect. If you're familiar with present perfect tense, that means it's something that happened in the past that, that, that is continuing to affect the present or is continuing to be true in the present, right? It's different from the simple past. The simple past just means something happened. The present, the, the present perfect means something happened and it still continues to be true now. Okay, so that's what the scriptures, that's what this passage says. We have come something that happened in the past, but it's continuing to be true now. We have come to Christ, but here's the condition. If we indeed hold true. So the condition is right now. But the thing being conditioned happened before. So what the writer is saying there is, you have come to Christ, something that happened in the past happened if something in the present is happening right now. You get it? It's a little bit confusing, but once you sort of get your mind around this, it's revolutionary. Look again at uh, the next passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul's going to do the same thing right here. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, past tense, you received. And when the New Testament speaks of receiving the gospel, it's speaking of salvation. It's not just talking about hearing it and thinking, oh, that's nice. I'll uh, think about that later. When you receive it, that's, that's talking about salvation. 
I would remind you of the, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you past tense received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved. Present uh, participle, you are in the process of being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So the condition is something right now. The condition is holding fast right now. The thing being conditioned happened previously, meaning you received the gospel. You see? Another one, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He, meaning Jesus, He has now reconciled. Present perfect, meaning something done in the past. It's in the past. You can't change the past. It's over. Only the effects of it are now continuing. That's why it's has reconciled instead of just reconciled, right? If Jesus reconciled you in the past... That's something done in the past, but if He has reconciled you, then He's done something and the effects of that are continuing. So He has reconciled you. It's done, it's over in the past. You can't change the past. He has reconciled you in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the, in, in sta- in the faith, stable and steadfast, sorry, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So once again... Something happened in the past, but it only happened if something in the present is now happening. Amazing, huh? There's more. It gets better. Romans 8, verse 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So you've received it. The Spirit has been given to you. Paul's talking to the Romans. You have received the Spirit of adoption. And because it's present present, uh, participle, it means that something that happened in the past, the, the effects are continuing now. You received the Spirit. The Spirit is still with you. So you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are... Children of God. And I put in there just a little reminder, if the Spirit tells you something, the Spirit doesn't lie to you. If the Spirit tells you you are the Son of God, that you are the child of God, He's not lying to you. He's not deceiving you. He's not leading you astray. He can only speak truth to you. So you have received the Spirit of adoption of by, by sons, and if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if or provided, if we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So once again... There is a condition, and the condition is right now, but the thing being conditioned has already happened. You have received the spirit of adoption if right now you continue to hold fast, if you continue to suffer with Him. Now, the, now the, 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 the thing being conditioned here, the, the question is, it's not, well, if we suffer with Jesus, then we'll be heirs with Him. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying that, well, there's, there's, there's going to be these children of God in heaven and some of them are going to be heirs with Jesus because they're the ones who suffered with Him. That's not what he's saying because he equates the two together. Look at what he says. If you're children, then you're heirs. If children, heirs. There are no children that aren't heirs. They're not, they're not heirs that aren't children. They're the same thing. If you're a child, you're an heir. God's inheritance will go to His children. He won't go to any of His distant relatives. If you're His child, you will inherit God. 
And so the condition there is if you suffer, then you have received the spirit of adoption as son. So if you're a little bit confused, and, and hopefully we're seeing at least what I've been showing us, and there's more places we can see it, but hopefully we're seeing it this far, is that if this happens right now in the present, that means something else happened before. If this is not happening in the present, then that tells us it didn't happen before. Okay, So here's what that's saying to us. What, is, what it's saying is this. Perseverance in your faith, perseverance in your belief, perseverance in your trust, and perseverance in your obedience, all of those are the sign that Christ has, has received you, has come to you, has grasped, grasped you, that you are His. And that's what Paul's saying in our passage. Look back at our passage once again. He says... Not that I've already obtained it, or I'm already perfect. Now that word obtain means to, to seize upon it, to grab it and seize firmly. Not that I've already seized it, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus, and here it is again, has made me His own. So Paul says, I press, I strain, I, I stretch to seize hold of Jesus. And the reason I do is because Jesus has seized hold of me. So the sign that Jesus has seized you is that you are stretching and straining to seize Him. And so that's the assurance that Paul is saying to, to not only his own insurance, but to the Philippians as well. This assurance that you are straining and striving towards the goal, that is the sign that Jesus has seized you, that you are His. Look now at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, because there's still more here. By the, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder. You hear it there, strain, strive, reach, press on. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul's straining is not his own work. It's, that's, that's a gift of God. So God has given to Paul the, the gift of the faith to believe. Paul's given to Paul the gift of repentance. He's given to Paul the gift of confession and the gift of forgiveness. But he's also given to Paul the gift of perseverance, the striving and straining which is itself the sign of assurance that God gave the original gift of faith to Paul to start with. You follow? Paul says, Paul's saying, Jesus has seized upon me. And the way that I know He seized upon me is because I am stretching and straining to seize upon Him. And I stretch and strain, I strive to seize upon Jesus to know Him fully, to know Him in this way that I yearn to know Him. I do that because that's the sign that He has seized upon me. So the very sign that He, that he gives to Paul, for Paul to know that he is assured of this salvation is in itself a gift from God. So let's look uh, at one more, or actually several more. Paul's straining, Paul's striving are a gift from God, but even Paul's continued belief are a gift from God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced 
that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So God has given the gift of faith to Paul. Paul has believed upon Jesus. He's seen Jesus as his treasure. And he strives to to have, to seize upon all of Jesus, to know him fully is his treasure, is his desire. But that faith to even continue believing, that itself is a continued work of God. Or 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He has caused us, there's past tense again, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being, there's present, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. So you are being guarded, your faith is being guarded because God is not only has given you that faith, but He's guarding it and keeping it. That itself is the sign that you have in the past received the uh, being caused to be born again to a living hope that Peter said earlier. And so as Paul is speaking to these Philippians, he speaks in terms that this ultimate salvation could possibly be lost. And the question is, well, does Paul really mean that? Or is he just speaking rhetorically? And the answer is, in one sense, in the one sense, yes. Should Paul forsake his faith? Should Paul forsake his obedience? Should Paul not strain to love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength? Then clearly, the abundance of evidence is that, yes, you're not going to attain the ultimate, to the ultimate salvation, but it's not because you lost any salvation. There, there's, the New Testament knows nothing about losing salvation. If you don't remain faithful, if you don't strain towards the faithful end, then what that means is Christ has not made you His own. That He has not seized upon you. You see, because the present sign is not there, that means that the past action didn't happen. The Bible knows nothing about a saved person losing some sort of, some salvation that they had. But it does know about those who maybe thought they believed, maybe thought they were disciples, but didn't persevere until the end. We think of uh, Demas, as the Apostle John writes about him, or we think about Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8, who thought they believed, who thought they were disciples, but then their belief failed. So their present continuing belief didn't happen, which means that the seizing upon them didn't happen in the past. You see? Now one more, and let's kind of put all this together. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. I put this in here just because this is, this is a really great parallel. Paul says in our passage, to read it again, Paul says in our passage, he says, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Therefore, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I do this, I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward. So, I press to make Jesus my own because Jesus has made me His own. I strain to seize upon Jesus completely because He has seized upon me completely. Now look at 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been 
fully known. So Paul says there, I know Jesus in part, but I press to know Him fully. And the reason I press to know Him fully is because He has fully known me. Just like he says to the Philippians, I press, I strain to seize upon Jesus fully because He has seized upon me. What a wonderful parallel. So what we're left here is this assurance that if if you are believing and if you are faithful now, then that's the sign that God gives to us that He has acted decisively upon us in the past. Without the continued sign then there's no reality that the sign is pointing to. You follow? So, the point of the passage, let's sort of back up from the passage right now, and taking all that that we just said over the past few minutes, taking all that, and let's now look back to the passage through that lens. And let's just recognize that Paul's point, the whole thrust of the passage, is not the assurance of salvation. Paul's point here is not to assure the Philippians, you know, I know for a fact that that I belong to the Lord and I know for a fact I'm going to see the resurrection. Of course he does, but that's not his point. The thrust of the passage is not to assure the Philippians that they're safe in the arms of God. The thrust of the passage is to give the Philippians no cause to relax in such an assurance, to, to have some sort of assurance that lets them just sort of kick back and become sort of flippant about their obedience, become sort of cavalier about their love towards God or their faithfulness towards God. Instead, the thrust of what Paul is saying is he wants to give them an assurance that does just the opposite, that causes them to strive even more to seize fully upon Jesus, to yearn to know Jesus as Paul yearns to know Him, to continue considering all these other things as loss and continue considering Jesus to be their ultimate treasure. That's his goal. That's what he wants. He wants the Philippians to read this and not say, okay, everything's good. I was worried there for a minute. Everything's fine. He wants them to to read this and have the full assurance that as long as their life is striving towards knowing Jesus in this way, then that's the sign that Jesus has seized upon them. It's like an assurance that... uh, I thought about this analogy. Hopefully this works for you. It's like an assurance like, like your retirement. Some of us in the room have retired. Some of us are getting close to that. Others of us will never see it like me. But retirement, when you start thinking about your retirement and you want an assurance that, that you're going to see retirement, there's two ways that you can have that assurance. One is by looking to your bank account or your 401k or whatever, And when the balance in that reaches a certain point that your financial advisor or whatever has told you, this is the point that you've got to reach in order for you to retire securely and comfortably. You can look to your retirement savings and when it reaches that point, then you have this assurance, I can now retire. Or retirement is secure for me. Because there it is right there. So I can now sort of kick back, take my foot off the, the gas and just sort of coast. That's one kind of assurance. Another kind of assurance is is like the kind of assurance that comes in your social security statement. I don't even know if they're still sending... I haven't seen one in years. If they're still sending them out, anybody know? They used to send out these... I used to get these social security statements. And the statement would go like this. If you continue to earn at your present level, your benefits will be this. Remember that? Maybe you still see them. If you continue to earn at this level, you will receive this benefit. 
That's like the assurance that Paul wants to give them. He doesn't want to give them the kind of assurance that they look to the bank account, oh, there's the balance, I'm good. He wants to give them the assurance that looks to the social security statement that says, as long as the sign continues in me, as long as I continue striving to know Him, then there's my assurance. That's what He wants to say to them. Okay, But don't we all just... Isn't this, isn't this one of the biggest questions that we all wrestle with? If you've never wrestled with this idea that how can I be really confident? How can I really, really know? If you've never wrestled with this, then you've never... Either you don't belong to the Lord... Or you've never really thought about your faith at all. Because all of us wrestle with this question. And the answer that Paul wants to say to the Philippians, I think is a tremendously helpful answer for us today. Because I believe that, that in the, by and large, in the evangelical church today, we have grossly misunderstood this idea of being assured of our presence with the Lord, of our ultimate resurrection from the dead, of our salvation in Him. And the reason that I think that we've been misled is is because of this. I think that we largely, I know that I have, we have largely been taught that when those times come and we want to look to something to be confident in our salvation, that what we look to is something that we could call like a certificate of salvation. Here's what I mean by that. Imagine in your mind a certificate of salvation. You receive this certificate of salvation when you are moved by the Lord to repent of your sins and believe upon Jesus and and make a public profession, probably followed by baptism, maybe joining of the church. And as the Scriptures teach us, in that moment, Jesus writes your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? And then you are His child forever. Okay, And so we've been taught that when... We need those times of assurance and confidence. We look for the certificate. If you've got the certificate, your salvation is valid. If you can look to the wall and see your metaphorical certificate of salvation, meaning you think back to the time when you made that profession, when you were convicted of sins, when you repented, and when you placed faith in Jesus, and you look back to that time and you see my certificate is valid, then you have confidence, you have assurance. The only problem is looking to a certificate of salvation is an awful way to assure ourselves of our righteousness in Christ. It's a terrible way. And the reason it is a terrible way to look for your confidence in your place with Christ is because inevitably, when you look to that certificate, maybe it was long ago, Maybe you barely remember it. Mine was 42 years ago. I don't remember what I did last Thursday. 42 years ago, I I can barely even remember the events. And I certainly have no confidence that my profession was genuine and my repentance was, was heartfelt. And so when I look to that certificate, I don't find a whole lot of confidence. I don't find a whole lot of security. Was my repentance real? Was it genuine? Did I repent enough? Did I believe enough? Did I understand well enough? Did I really pray the prayer I needed to pray? Right? 
So when I look to a certificate, I find a lousy reason for confidence in my salvation now. So here's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. We don't look to a certificate. Instead, we look to a chair. So imagine everybody sitting in a chair right now, right? I don't see anybody sitting in a chair, you know, sort of halfway holding yourself up on the table. Maybe you got one leg down and you sort of squatting over the chair. I don't see anybody sitting like that. When you sit in a chair, how much of your weight is in the chair? All of it. All of your weight is in the chair. That's what it means to sit in a chair. The chair is the righteousness of Christ. And so when we need assurance, when we need confidence, we don't look to a certificate. You look down and you see if you're sitting in the chair. If you're sitting in the chair, then He has seized you. If you're sitting in the chair, then He has acted upon your life. And He has given you faith and repentance. And you are His. Why? Because the sign is the chair. That is a far, far better sign to look to than some sort of event that happened in the past. Here's the way I put it in your notes. Your present posture is better proof than a past memory. And if your present posture is one of straining, striving to seize upon Christ, then you know that He has seized upon you. If you look down and you see yourself sitting in the chair, then that's the sign that He has seized upon you. And so what He's saying to the Philippians here, He's saying you've got to stay in the chair. Because these Judaizers have come along and they're enticing the Philippians to get out of the chair a little bit. It's like children, you know. We're, we're sort of like spiritual children sometimes, aren't we? And you know how it can be hard for children to stay seated in a chair? You just want to get up? Or maybe it's hard for adults if you've had too much coffee or something like that. But you just want to get up? Sometimes it's just hard to stay. It's like we're spiritual children that just have a hard time just staying in the chair. We want to get up out of the chair and like... The passage is talking about reach for this thing called circumcision or reach for this thing called baptism or reach for this thing called a profession of faith at some point or reach for this other thing called good works because we don't want to stay in the chair. We want to get up and run around. And Paul's saying to them, your joy is in the chair. Look down and see yourself resting fully and completely upon the righteousness of Christ and that is your sign that He has seized upon you. And that is, that is the, the context of the fullness of the joy of the Lord. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.